So with interest rates as high as they are and possibly set to go higher, you'd assume that this was a risky time to be taking out a loan or extending credit. And yet Australia seems to be making it through somehow. I mean, house prices are holding up. Aggregate spending in retail is holding up, sort of. But for how much longer? And which parts of the Australian economy are most at risk? The Morning Call from NAB with Phil Dobby. The Weekend Edition. Well, one thing we do know is that central banks want to slow down the economy to tame inflation. That's happening around the world. We also know that the RBA has just lifted interest rates and could well do it one more time. And we know that Australia has a high level of housing debt, more than most countries relative to GDP and to income. So if your job is managing risk... This is a time that you really have to know what you're talking about, isn't it? Well, Sonia Strauman does just that. She is executive credit risk at NAB. She manages a team of 147 credit risk professionals for the bank across Australia, looking at over $400 billion worth of residential mortgages, along with business credit and specialist corporate portfolios. Uh, She's with us this week on the weekend edition. So, Sonia, even though this is a tough time for households and businesses, The latest financial stability review from the RBA once again is saying that banks are well positioned to continue to supply credit to the economy despite all these elevated global and domestic risks. So two questions come out of that. I mean, do banks really want to extend more credit at times like this when risks are higher? And do customers want more credit, whether it's businesses or households, when interest rates are so high? Um, interesting conundrum um, and something that we we um, stare into on a daily basis. Um, the answer to that is yes. So you need to actually continue to provide credit through the cycle. So really important to continue to support our customers, including in times where there's um, a bit of a downturn. So we are continuing to see customers request credit. Um, the reality is that um, the new to bank applications have become harder. And that's a factor of high interest rate environment, high inflationary environment, which means servicing becomes tougher or more difficult for certain for certain customers. So what we're seeing is that um, customers aren't able to lever their balance sheets the way they used to in the past, um, just because of the maths of the high interest rate. But we're continuing to see a demand for credit and we continue to support our customers in this environment. Yeah, because housing finance, particularly for owner occupiers, is still well above where it was pre-pandemic, isn't it? And it's back on the rise. So that I mean, that is hard to explain. <laughs> Yes, it is. So what we've seen across our portfolio is that housing finance has um, stabilized. So we're not seeing the rate of growth that we saw pre the pandemic. And um, intuitively, that makes sense. So when you're in a high interest rate environment, serviceability comes under strain. So um, borrowers are uh, less able to to um, purchase those very expensive homes. And Australia is a very expensive country to purchase a home in. But we're continuing to see customers um, purchase um, property. Um, a lot of that, I think, is because of the um, high demand and the, the high levels of immigration into the country. There's no denying that there's a need for housing, um, and that's not going to change um, in the short term. So we continue to see the need for, for home loans. Yeah, and yeah, you know, another dichotomy, we need those homes, but the one sector that seems to be struggling is the construction sector. And yet, you know, we need them to be building more. Yes, 
Um, and it's it's um, no surprise to you, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to the podcast, that we observed a large spike in insolvencies, especially towards the back end of um, 2022. And what I'm seeing across the book is that we continue to see stress in the sector, but it seems to be stabilizing at the moment. So um, there's a continual flow of files into our hardship uh, teams, but the rate of acceleration seems to be uh, slowing down. Um, it's a sector we need to continue watching. And you're right, this is the challenge. So you've got a low supply of housing and uh, real stress in the construction sector. And I would say they're not out the they're not out of the woods just yet. Right. So mortgages for many people, you know, they're getting up to 7% more in some cases. That means something's got to give, doesn't it? I mean, whether they ask to extend their mortgage or they cut spending elsewhere or they, which is the interesting thing, isn't it? Dip into uh, dip into those savings that they accumulated during the pandemic, which again is sort of like a worldwide phenomenon, isn't it? At what point does something give? At what point do we do, do people go? Well, that's it. We've 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 cut f- as far as we can into those savings. And I guess the RBA wants to see. You know, out of all of those scenarios, the RBA wants to see us spending less, and we've we've been reluctant to do that. So, what is going to change? Do you think? And when? Uh, that's a million dollar question. I wish I knew when, um, but we are actually seeing the change happening now. So what we're seeing across the mortgage book is that households have definitely started to adjust to this higher rate environment and they've started managing their discretionary spend. Um, so what we've um, seen through the economic stats is a pullback in spending on discretionary items. Um, over three quarters, uh, aggregate discretionary spending in national accounts has declined in aggregate around 2% um, and more on a per capita basis. Um, If I look at the NAB survey on consumer sentiment, it also clearly points to adjustments going on in household level. So cutbacks on discretionary spending, things like streaming services and micro treats, um, and people are looking for value in other areas like travel. Um, Some interesting stats. So one in two uh, consumers are cutting back on eating out and entertainment and car travel. Four in 10 have cut back on travel and food delivery. And around one in three have cut back on major household appliances and subscription services. So we're definitely seeing households adjusting to this uh, high inflationary environment. And I always say this, and it's playing out, the last thing people will stop paying is their homes or their primary assets. So we will see a slowdown in in discretionary spending as people try and protect their primary assets. Um, We're seeing that playing out as arrears across our book. So I'm not sitting here saying that arrears and delinquencies haven't increased. They absolutely have. Um, But interesting, they've remained within the historical observed averages. So there's nothing in the stats that are concerning just yet. And um, given... We are the lucky country and house prices continue to defy um, uh, logic. Logic, (laughs) yeah. I was like, what do I find? What's the right word? Logic. Um, What we are observing is that from a banking perspective, losses remain low. Mm. Um, And if households perceive that there's value in their assets, they will cut in many other places before they lose their equity. Um, So 
I'm I'm hopeful that this will will remain in the short to medium term. And I guess people can react in one of two ways, can't they? Uh, if they are on a fixed rate mortgage and they can see that they've got a high rate coming up down, further down the road, maybe they will try and pay off their mortgage a little bit faster, but not so easy to do. You know, fixed rate, of course. Uh, and then if you're on a variable rate, uh, well, maybe if you're struggling, you'll try and extend that loan so that your monthly payments are a little bit less. Are we seeing that sort of thing happening? Uh, I would say uh, yes and no. Um, the reality is because interest rates are so much higher. So we're talking about average rates having gone up from a fixed rate loan of say 2%. And we, we're sitting at close to six, six and a half, sometimes 7%. So that's a, a, a massive leap, um, in your monthly repayments. And the reality is historically customers would shop around shop for a better rate, refinance. But when you've had um, engaged in a mortgage at the peak of the cycle with asset prices that are very high, um, typically our customers are leveraged a lot, you know, almost to the max. So their ability to shop around to get a better rate is is curtailed because they won't meet servicing. Um, so, so what they're doing is we are engaging with our customer cohort uh, to the extent we are observing hardship um, and it entails an extension of the loan term. Absolutely, we'll support that, but that's not always the answer. So we've always had this assumption, haven't we, in Australia, that house prices are always going to go up. And here we are, you know, with interest rates where they are. The latest core logic numbers on house values has gone up in the five capital cities by 7.6% in the last year. That's an, another thing that defies logic, isn't it? So um, is there too much emphasis placed on this idea that they will always go up? And doesn't that become a, a risk in itself, that people are hanging on to their loans or taking out new loans or gauging their wealth based on this continual upward spiral in in Australian house prices. And, you know, it's easier to to calculate the risk on taking out a loan or giving a loan if you assume that that's always what's going to happen. I wouldn't say so because when we're doing the credit assessment, valuation is is absolutely a factor, but it's not the determining factor. So first and foremost, it's about ensuring that uh, we have appropriate um, measures in place and uh, conduct reasonable inquiries to ensure the customer can repay the loan. We typically uh, cap our loans to 80% um, and um, to ensure that we've got some equity or skin in the game from the borrower's perspective as well. But yes, that that that, that is a risk from the consumer lens if people believe that uh, the bubble will never burst. And are we going to see a big change in behaviour as people sort of move over that fixed rate cliff? So there are people on fixed rate home loans. I wonder if they're going to, you know, if people are behaving like me, which is that so long as you've got that money, so long as you've got that spare cash uh, because you've got a low interest rate, you're going to keep on spending. And then you only change it when you actually are hit with that fixed rate cliff edge and uh, all of a sudden you've got to tighten your belt. Uh, so are we going to see as more people reach that stage, we see a sudden shift in the behaviour of Australians? So it's funny you say that, Phil. So I'm going to say that you are clearly the anomaly because it's the opposite of what we're seeing through right. the data. <laughs> so well, logic- people are more sensible than me, clearly. <laughs> it appears that way. So what we've observed, and and um, you know, this fixed rate cohort was something that we paid very close attention to, because logically you would think that it would be a massive shock as people roll off their uh, fixed rate loans to the much higher variable rate loans. And what we're seeing across the book is actually the the, the complete opposite, which is surprising. So what we're seeing is that um, offset 
um, account, uh, which is uh, another way of uh, describing their savings accounts, which are linked to your mortgage products, as well as pay ahead, uh, which we describe as redraw against the mortgages. It's actually uh, what we're observing is as the uh, fixed rate loans um, roll over into the variable rate loans, uh, we are seeing uh, increased linking of offset accounts to those fixed rate, um, um, to those new variable rate mortgages, which tells me that um, people continue to save even though they were on uh, fixed rate loans. And conversely, we are actually seeing um, those fixed rate um, converted loans performing better than the historical variable rate loans, which is pretty curious. So we're seeing um, increase in um, redraw, increase in offset balances, and um, on uh, um, as a general, um, the arrears performance being better. Well, yeah, I mean, we saw that massive increase, didn't we, in, in household savings uh, during the pandemic. I think the savings ratio got up to something like 24%. It's way lower than that now. But of course, all that money that's saved is still sitting in bank accounts. So you may as well use that to offset your mortgage and, and still have that money on hand should you need it. So I guess that's what people are doing. Absolutely. And we're seeing it playing out now in the data. Having said that, we need to also uh, be balanced because it's early days. So around 50% of our fixed rate expiries by December would have rolled over to the variable rate. We are seeing these positive trends, but we still got 50% to go. And that's going to play out mm. over the next 18 months. But uh, all indications, it's looking promising. Right. But is that because people are assuming that this is a fairly short-term thing, that you know, in a couple of years, life will be back to normal and they won't have to bear these higher costs any longer and and uh, interest rates are going to come back down again. Uh, or, and are we going to find that people suddenly are hit with this realisation that actually central banks are talking higher for longer and in fact it's, it's going to be transitory but perhaps longer than people are expecting and they're going to have to adjust their behaviour accordingly? Um, I would think so. And, and that is candidly something that uh, concerns me. So I think that um, the longer this lasts, of course, and if people continue to dip into their savings, there's going to come a point where they can't do that anymore. Um, and that's when I think we're going to see greater insolvencies in the small business sector, and especially those that are vulnerable and exposed to discretionary top spending. Um, I think that this Christmas period is very much a watching brief. I think a lot of um, uh, small businesses are holding out, uh, waiting for a bumper trading season, which typically happens. Um, and a lot of businesses make the majority of their income through the festive season. I don't think it's going to happen this year. And I think that um, uh, a lot of the businesses who have been holding on um, meeting working capital gaps through their savings, and we've seen that through the data, um, it's going to it's going to come to roost um, in the new year. So I think that's one to watch. Yeah, because retail, now, the retail sector generally, I mean, volumes might have fallen away a bit, but because of increased prices, uh, spending in absolute terms is holding up fairly well. So you think we might see that turn around? Absolutely. And it's uh, I would describe it as all sectors that are exposed to changing consumer spending. Um, and I would add climate as well as those that we will start seeing um, increased um, stress in the new year. So whilst we say retail, I would, I would extend that to accommodation, cafes, pubs. I was speaking to a customer the other day and, and, and um, it's one of our clients and the pub was full. Um, and you think to yourself, what, uh, where's the uh, slowdown? Uh, where's this um, pressure across the economy? 
And speaking to to the owner, um, the analogy that they used was previously they would sell 60% steaks, 10% ribs, and the, the balance would be hamburgers. And that's changed. So people are still going out, but now they're buying 60% burgers and then the steaks and then the ribs. So it's telling. Um, and that does impact margins and, and business profitability. Right. And then that becomes hard for them to then take out a loan as well, doesn't it? Because they are high risk. So they feel the squeeze at both ends. Absolutely. So then they would qualify. Um, it will be harder for them to service a loan or qualify for a loan. The good thing about um, um, Australia and something that gives me a lot of comfort is um, post GFC, we are one of the most regulated economies uh, from a, uh, uh, you know, responsible lending, APRA lens, et cetera. Um, so what we will see uh, is as uh, disposable income reduces, uh, servicing ability reduces, which means that people won't qualify for the loans that they once did, which will see volumes coming off um, across the, uh, the, the bank. So the sales will come down. From the bank's perspective, um, that will that I anticipate to happen, but I'm not concerned with the quality of those loans per se. So, what about uh, commercial real estate? I mean, there is no bigger sign, is there, of the downturn in demand for commercial office space worldwide than uh, seeing WeWork, a company that was this week. I mean, it, was, it had previously been valued at 47 billion at one stage, uh, US dollars, filing for bankruptcy this week. I mean, this has to be a high risk sector, doesn't it? Uh, and yet, you know, I'm reading in, you know, because we're just not going into the office as much. And yeah, I'm reading in the AFR this week, certain parts of commercial real estate are booming, they reckon. Yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't describe it as, as booming because it's very much specific on the asset category that you're talking about. So when we look across our book and files that are actually flowing into our hardship teams, commercial real estate is actually one of our biggest sectors of concern. And when I say commercial real estate, specifically office, to your point, that people are, are, are staying at home um, as much as they can. Yeah. Changing. Yeah, yeah. Hybrid working is a new thing, um, as well as uh, retail. And the pressure that we're seeing is more from a servicing um, capacity. So if you uh, think about it, you sign a fixed uh, term lease, which is indexed once a year. Um, if you're lucky, to inflation, uh, you still need to service your loan. And interest rates have gone up uh, uh, exponentially over a period of 12 months. So what we're seeing is pressure on those servicing buffers, or I'll call it working capital pressure. But what we haven't seen is that translates to depreciation in values. Mm, yet. And yeah. the reason I think that's playing out is because we haven't had any forced sales or fire sales as yet. Mm. So everyone's holding on in the hope that this will change. And that's the the, the true uh, point of inflection that we need to watch for, because it's going to come a point where people will run out of, of cash uh, and uh, will be forced to sell these assets and then uh, and meet the market. And uh, right now, we don't know what that's going to look like and what the impact will be on those asset prices. Well, the obvious thing would be that a lot of this office space, if it's in the right place, suddenly becomes residential property, doesn't it? So then that creates an opportunity. But uh, but we look at the uh, we look at the construction industry, and uh, new dwellings down f- over fifteen percent year on year uh, in the June quarter, and yet we've got net migration, we've got more demand. I mean, obviously, it is mm-hmm. just the, the mortgage rate that's holding the construction industry, the the housing industry back, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's right. It's a conundrum. Um, and it's all um, feeding 
uh, into each other and interrelated risks. Absolutely. And when you talk about locations of assets, you're 100% right because I'm less concerned about what I'm going to call it prime commercial property uh, or office property. Um, so, what I would foresee is that people will rather uh, move to uh, premium office buildings that are newer, energy efficient, uh, and vacate that secondary or B-grade type of office assets, which typically are in your suburbia, suburbia or outer metro areas, which to your point could have the opportunity for rezoning in a perfect world um, if, if we didn't have pressure in the construction sector. But yes, that could be the saving grace for those valuations, but time will tell. Is that the biggest concern then out of all of these sectors? Because it seems like that that is the only one that is a long-term impact of, I mean, you know, we can, if we can work our way through this sort of period of, of high interest rates, then perhaps life returns to normal. But the one thing COVID has left us with is this working from home mantra. And, you know, is that does that mean that this is out of all the sectors, commercial real estate, and, and as you say, again, again, depending on location, becomes the highest risk factor out of anything in, 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 uh, in your portfolio? Um, yes. So the, the, the one that uh, concerns me the most and we see the highest flow of hardship is absolutely focused in that commercial real estate space for all the reasons you articulated, but not all asset categories. So it's really important to, to understand that commercial real estate is a very broad asset category. It's office and, um, and retail as well. But we're also seeing pressure in other sectors. So when I spoke about uh, climate patterns, um, agri is a sector that we need to keep an eye on. So what we're seeing playing out at the moment is with the El Nino climate system coming through, we're seeing hotter and drier weather conditions. This impacts on the farmer's income because we all know that uh, the farmer's worst um, nightmare is a drought condition. And it's playing out with uh, uh, drier conditions, and then we're seeing uh, very low uh, prices in livestock, particularly for cattle and sheep. Um, and that coupled with rising inflation and input costs, the farmers' working capital positions are, are coming under strain. So that for me is another emerging sector to keep an eye on. Um, in the and you just year. said pubs are selling less steaks as well. But I mean, actually, yeah, you, you know, we, <laughs> but I mean, but, I mean, that start, we are changing our behavior as well, you know, in terms of uh, the amount of uh, meat that we eat as well. So that's, you know, that's another longer term trend, isn't it? So do you, do you worry about there being a tipping point, perhaps something that, even, you know, that you're aware of, but you're not really able to determine just how big it is? And, and when it is. Is there a, a tipping point just around the corner that could really have some some impact? Some, uh, you know, that we've been through a fairly, we cope fairly well through this turbulent period, but is there something that's really going to hit home? The thing that worries me is the black swan event, and I think it's going to come in the package of the uh, increasing geopolitical risk that we're seeing out there. Um, and I don't know what it would look like, but it's what concerns me. It's that unknown. And then the flow and impacts that has to the broader economy, inflation, interest rates, et cetera, et cetera, and on, on we go. Um, so uh, right now, very topical is the, the war in the Middle East. Um, that could could have uh, dire implications for the broader economy. So that that's the tipping point that, mm. that really concerns me or that black swan event. Well, let's hope that doesn't happen in uh, too much of a hurry, but we never know, do we? And that's why we have to manage risk, which is obviously more complicated than ever right now. Uh, thanks for your time, Sonia. Thanks, Phil.
I enjoyed talking to you today. Now, next week, ethical investing. We're hearing a lot about that right now. Is that because the risk of not being ethical is too great these days? You can't be greedy not with social media watching over you. Uh, We'll look at that next week. The week after that, uh, we'll be looking at the process in arriving at the free trade agreement with the UK. And the week after that, Ross McEwen will be joining us on the podcast. We do like to plan ahead. And I'm back on Monday morning for the Morning Call Weekday Edition. Join me for that. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Thanks for listening. The Weekend Edition 